Welcome, everyone, to Watch Challenge. On each episode, we challenge ourselves to find and watch a film of a particular type and then report back the results to each other and you fine listeners as well. My name is Aaron Spears. And I'm Mike Wentz. This episode's challenge is Spike Lee Films. And today we are joined by a special guest, uh, filmmaker Robert Banks. Hello. Hey, Hi. Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Robert. I'm, we I'm still not used to doing podcasts. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on board, though. Thank you. I'm honored, actually. I'm honored. I think we mentioned you on quite a few episodes, so uh, it's good to have you on uh, to get some of your takes. Yeah, I know. I've heard you guys have had some really cool um, podcasts, different <laughs> topics. Some of them are like, you know, right up my alley, too. So it's it's great to be part of this finally for a change. It's like, wow, I'm, I'm like, I've been. I'm crossing the threshold with you guys. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, am, will I be worthy? That's the question. Am I, wor- am I worthy to be here? So, <laughs> and I, I told Aaron a couple times that you uh, you tend to uh, sometimes criticize some of my picks, like in a friendly way. You know, like I should probably expand some of my horizons a little bit. <laughs> and it's not just you, Mike. Just a lot of the people that we know in Cleveland. I mean, the people that know me. Some of them say I'm a total film snob and everything and you know that's all open for debate and that's and it's a lot of it has to do with the fact that i just there's a lot of genres that i've been into for the last 40 50 years since i was a kid I'm watching movies forever and so but now there's a whole generation of film goers now in cleveland and I'll, i won't say any names but mike you know a lot of them and <laughs> of them talk about genres of filmmakers directors and yet no one never ever talks to me about this stuff and then when i hear about it, it's always after the fact case point the uh what cinema wasteland was it they did a casting. Uh, it was the reunion for um, Motel Hell, and Kevin Connor, the director, was there, and no one said Jack to me. I won't. There's no profanity in this. Oh, you're fine. Yeah. I was upset <laughs> because he's one of my favorite filmmakers, and I was like, why didn't someone tell me? I would have gone to that because I'm not into <laughs> conventions. But there are certain filmmakers will go out of my way to meet, and he's one of them. I would have, but nobody even acknowledged the fact that he was there because people don't know because people hear only one thing about a film or or genre, if there's certain, whatever you want to call it, certain fanboy thing, whatever. But it's just, my biggest, there's a lot of people that love movies here don't like the whole aspect of it. And it's just, there's so many filmmakers or actors or designers or effects people, cinematographers, laundry list, 10 miles long of how I've experienced that in the last 40 years. And especially in the last 20 years since the internet has been the standard. So (laughs) um, anyway, so yeah. So anyway, that's just me. I bitch and moan a lot. I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I am the bitchiest guy in Cleveland when it comes to like, ah, and I'm all, it means because I'm getting old too. I'm, I'm up there. So, <laughs> Well, I think one of the reasons why we thought you would be appropriate for this episode is uh, because of your familiarity with, with the, the film works of Spike Lee, but also that you made a short film that, you know, kind of criticized uh, one of his, one of his films. Yeah. No, it's funny. I can tell you guys a quick story. I'm not going to be long-winded. Don't worry. When That's I was right. in the Air Force back in back in '86, I was stationed in Korea, and it was my first time being away from home. And then still, the the, the passion movies and, and filmmaking was still there, but I just had to get out of Cleveland, get away from the family, and I had to go out and understand what the world was about being by myself. And so, my mom and dad would still send me stuff, and I never forgot this. And I have it here somewhere. I'm not sure, but it's here still. I have the original magazine from that. I forgot what month it was. It was a spring issue, I think. But Spike Lee was on the cover. She's got to have it. And it was something completely 
100% new. And my mom sent that to me and I was in my barracks in Korea and I got the envelope, I opened it up and I'm like, hmm, Jet Magazine and hmm, who is this guy? And he was on the cover with Tracy Camilla Johns, who plays Nor- uh, Nor- is it Norma. Nor- Nola. Um, but anyway, yeah. Yeah. And they're on the cover. And I, so I was like, huh. So I put it on, opened and everything. I was reading it. It was a good little article. And they show him sitting in front of a fat flatbed um, um, steam back. You know, mm. it was so funny. And I read about it and everything. And they were talking about it. And you guys got to keep in mind, back then, there were other black filmmakers but we pretty much took it for granted. They're in the business. You know, you had um, Ted Lang, you had Gordon Parks, you had um, Michael Schultz, you had um, as many of them. But for some reason, this guy kind of stood out. But they were making references to what was doing that was somewhat different. And I kind of, you know, was like, wow, this is really cool. So I'm thinking, okay, we'll, we'll see what this guy does next. thing. And so um, when I was out on... When I finally was discharged, I think I saw my first Spike Lee film, which was She's Gotta Have It. And my sister and her friends had a little get-together at her house, and one of her friends brought it on VHS, and we all watched it together. And I was thinking, wow, okay. And, you know, and I, I enjoyed it. They enjoyed it, too. We all liked it. It was different. I mean, a lot of people weren't really keen on it because they knew nothing about him, but it was generating already in terms of the media about this new up-and-coming director, and this was the new mm-hmm. Renaissance because this was a sales um who else there was a bunch of indie filmmakers that were blossoming in the early 80s and spike lee caught the tail end of that and he was mm-hmm. being pushed also so um i sort of knew who he was because i had this thing back in six and so when we saw that everybody was like wow this is so different a lot of people were wondering why it was in black and white and that was funny because these weren't your average movie these are people that were into mainstream movies and so and you got to figure remember also these are mainly african-american people that watch blockbuster action movies. And so my sister and her friends, they weren't into the stuff that I was into, especially then. So I was really getting into it. They were just taken by like the jump cuts and all the weird little edits and everything and in your face shots and all the yeah. crazy goofy things he would use. And the thing is, I was totally into that, even though I knew that was nothing original, but for sure. people that weren't used to seeing those kind of films, that was original and that was yeah. unique and that was different. And so they were thinking, man, this is crazy, but it's funny. And they were laughing. And it was well-written film, beautifully shot. Everything about that film I love. That is technically my favorite Spike Lee movie. She's Gotta Have It is way up there. It's one of my favorite films. The funny thing was, I had no idea that that was the, I think officially that was just a regular R version or the edited version. Mm-hmm. Because years later, I had another copy and I can't remember how I got it. A friend of mine got me a, dubbed it from me. It was another version of it. I have it on beta right now. I have it on beta that's how old this was but i managed to get the uncut version which is just a little bit longer not much some mm. of the sex scenes are a little bit more not explicit but a little bit more lengthier yeah um because in the other version that we saw yeah everything was sort of down but no um pretty much i was like wow this guy is going to be really cool however i think a lot of people sort of had issues with the way he depicted or expressed depiction of black women at that time and so he was already causing some stirs and everything but mm. that was pretty much my first experience with spike lee but i was a fan i was really sold on that film i still think it's a great film yeah but we're going to talk about where we're going <laughs> <laughs> because the film i saw reminded me of the spirit of the production of she's got to have it i think he sort of was going in we'll talk about that going in okay <laughs> well, Mike, Mike, what you was your? I'm excited here because yeah, oh, no, just right. bringing back some memories. Here, memories. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Mike, what was your what was your first uh, Spike Lee experience? 
Yeah. Um, so I was I was a little bit later to, to to seeing some of his films. I think the first one that I actually saw was Girl Six. Uh, oh, because, wow. uh, we had we got uh, I th- I, I've told this so many times on here, but we got HBO <laughs> and uh, that was one of the mm. first movies when when they activated the HBO. I believe Girl Six was playing at like 8 p.m. that night. So watch that oh day one uh, okay yeah yeah uh because it was like they played booty call and then girls um right um but but no i i was uh you know i i'd heard a lot but then eventually saw you know do the right thing of course i, I think is probably yeah. uh the one that really put him in the mainstream put him in the in the forefront you know mm-hmm. you know probably like a, a a year or two later um but uh but yeah always um you know i mean he's one of those i think it's one of those like images of the director that you know because for a while like the director was the person behind the camera not so much in front and it's it was unique when you start to see that director become like a fashion icon like always in you know like robert said like in jet magazine stuff like that because of like the fashion the the kind of hats that he wore the the glasses that he wears yeah you know still continues to do so yeah that that's what he he was kind of i was was gonna say not to interrupt he was kind of like the elton john of black filmmakers because the glasses and the hat was oh yeah yeah. (laughs) that was a signature thing and and um yeah so i I remember seeing i was saying that i was also making woody woody allen comparisons too back then Mm, so remember the other thing i forgot to mention too was back then people actually got a taste of him because of those nike commercials mars Mm. blackman Oh yeah, yeah. Nobody can do Eric Jordan. Nobody, nobody. That yeah. was that was a everybody knew him more from that before he became That's the true. guru. So I just meant to bring that up too. But yeah, yeah. How about you, Aaron? I no, I, I was thinking of the Nike commercials as well because I knew of him that way before I saw any of his movies. Um, and then once I knew I was going to go to uh, film school, I was well, I didn't know I was going to go, but I was like a junior high school. I'm like, I'm a film geek. I'm going to go. I went to the library, got the video cassette of Do the Right Thing, and I watched that and it was built up in my head as like, it's going to blow you away. And I was like, wow, I've never seen a movie quite like this. Yeah. And it didn't, it was one of those, it didn't hit me the, as it didn't hit me the way um, it would on like second, third, fourth viewing. But I remember, I don't remember the rationale for it other than I um, am a big Scorsese fan. I remember being really excited for clockers. Cause by the time I had watched do the right thing, clockers was like the next movie coming out that he had done. And, um, I remember getting, uh, was it Richard Price, the screenwriter? I remember like reading all about him and like read one of his novels. Um, I was just, I was really hyped for that movie for whatever reason. And then I remember going to see that in the theater. I was just like, everybody I saw was like, that was dumb. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> this is, this is fantastic. So that was the first one I had. Clockers like, an or do the right thing? Uh, Clockers, sorry. Um, Cause I was like, I was the hype guy in, in my high school theater group that would be like, all right, guys, get in the car. We're going to see this movie this weekend. And I'd trek them to the Cinematheque or Cedar Lee or somewhere. Uh, but I remember taking them all, like, we went out to see Clockers, and they were just not big fans of it. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about, man? This movie is amazing. Um, so that was my first, like, theatrical experience, like, getting really hyped up and couldn't wait to see um, a Spike Lee movie, like, in a theatrical setting. And then once I've revisited Do the Right Thing a number of times over the years, but I always kind of count, like, my first real, like, theatrical experience with an audience being Clockers in 95. But, yeah. I think one of the other things yeah. that's synonymous with him is he's, like, he's always at the Knicks games. So it's like, he, oh, he's right. right there. Like, yeah. Yeah. right. I mean, I don't watch a lot of basketball, but it's just like, that's just the image of him, 
he's like the Jack Nicholson of New York, <laughs> where, right? The East Coast. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I you know, not every film of his, I think, is is a complete like uh, home run. But he always does bring like a unique energy, I think, to to each script. Which sometimes he writes the scripts, but then, but sometimes he does rely on um, other people to write the scripts. He's also the type of filmmaker that I really respond to, and I I'm guessing you do too, Robert, because you just mentioned being a film snob, and I consider myself to be a film snob or film geek, however you want to say it. But Spike Lee is also one of those directors who's also like was also an instructor. He teaches film. He loves film. He loves the medium. Anytime he has a an interview, he's recommending eight to 10 other movies that you got to go see. And I just, I really respond well to filmmakers that are also the film geeks out there too. Yeah. 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 He, he's, he was well-versed. He's totally well-versed in world cinema and all that yeah. stuff. And um, I know he was doing a lot of, um, he had min, multiple interns out of NYU. In fact, my late sister's coworker's daughter interned with him nice. years ago. Um, this was back like in, when she was still in film school at NYU. And um, it's funny I mentioned about, seeing him theatrically my first because that when i saw she's got a habit that was once good my sister's friends in a vhs in a oh, living right. room but my first theatrical film was school day if you can't forget school day oh yeah yeah <laughs> and i remember reading about that when that was being made too and everything and um seeing i think a lot of his films were seeing it in a theatrical environment with a good crowd mm-hmm. school days was like that and i'll just go ahead and bring this up now to get it out of the way my experience with do the right thing was very unique because we went to a, a special advanced screening of it before it was released at Case Western at Strosacker. Oh, nice. And it was 90% black, all students. And um, and there were some white folks there too and everything. And we saw it and I'll just leave, lack of a better word, we were all blown away. However, there was a lot of debate about what the film meant and the audience was, was kind of split. There are people that thought it was masterpiece and there are people that were quiet. And some of us was like, this was good, but what was all was a great experience. Then a few years later, the next film was No Better Blues, mm-hmm. which when I get a break, I actually had a show until I was sitting over here. I forgot to grab it. But, <laughs> <laughs> it's a souvenir from the Mo Better Blues screening, but it was the same thing. It was an advanced screening. Yeah. It was released. And everybody I was excited and pumped up. It was the same thing. And so the crowd played a big part of that. The pro, when the film aren't as strong as you because once again as a film snob you want to be a well-rounded cinema yeah. and yeah. the politics the acting the script the cinematography and he handles that but it's not as perfectly balanced as it would be and i think the bigger he got this became a problem now a lot of people disagree with me i think mobetta blues is technically brilliant i just love that that film and the music and what his his trademarks work but there are things about the film that didn't work and that's the reason why i can't stand that it does i catch it i, I have a, I, I can watch it with the volume down or i can or, <laughs> i don't know it's just that film had yeah. issues and i think he tried to she's got to have it route with the narrative from the flip side with a guy and this was his first movie with denzel washington so i don't know i think that's technically one of my first films i had real issues with as far as spike lee oh, but um because okay. his first three films, i'm like big time love him yeah but after that but yeah, but seeing these films theatrically, I think pay, plays a big part in that. And you could tell he's he's in terms of on the big screen and all that. And his stuff has a high value for that. Well, I wanted to mention too the um, the last episode we did was on Oscar snubs, and it it did kind of occur to me that like he uh, Spike Lee now has one for best was adapted screenplay for Black Klansman. But like Correct. Spike Lee as a filmmaker, looking at the totality of his filmography. 
he's won one Oscar for best adapted screenplay. I was like, what, what are we doing here? Yeah. No, Lack I of mean, nominations in general too, but come on. Yeah. I think he's a, he's in that, that company of uh, filmmakers like a Tarantino who have won for writing, but you know, inexplicably yeah. have not won for directing. And um, yeah, it, it's very, it's very interesting. I mean, and I know it was probably controversial at the time when, when do the right thing was not nominated for, director or picture not that that's the only thing that matters in a directing career but right you know someone who has been operating within hollywood for as many decades as he has now to he has like the one best screenplay best adapted screenplay oscar but you know he's got an honorary oscar but has never been like gotten the actual the actual gold for any number of quality projects why do you guys think that is i would defer to mike because i don't know the oscar history as well yeah i you know I thought the year that that Black Klansman was up, I thought potentially he was going to win. I'm trying to remember exactly what other it might have been. Roma was up for it, I think, which, which, you know, I mean, it's a great film. Alfonso Coron, though, had already won. I mean, it could have been the opportunity to to finally award um, an African-American as best director. But I don't know. I think maybe sometimes because he could be synonymous with New York, uh, sometimes it tends to be some of those New York type filmmakers sometimes get overlooked for some reason, uh, even though Woody Allen has, has won quite a few, but uh, I think that that could be, that could be it. That um, yeah. It takes Scorsese a while too. Yeah. And like sometimes he's like a controversial, he can be a controversial figure. So, um, in just in some of the things that he says in like interviews and, you know, who knows, like maybe he, he might have caused some stuff. That's what I was leaning towards. Yeah. I was like, you you never know. Years ago, that was my big issue with Spike Lee because I think as a director, yeah, I mean, you know, you got to build this mystique and this idea of how to direct and you have a, run us with an iron fist and you gotta you know and but at the same time the whole racism white establishment all this stuff that stuff was getting old i mean i know i sound like an uncle tom saying this but the few years of him directing a movie and he would speak out about that okay that was fine but afterwards that got old and i think my big problem with that is he expresses that in the film he already makes his point in the films that he makes so it's like why are you going to get out there and start trashing the establishment when you're already making a point in your movies too and i just felt that i think i think the powers that be pretty much they like what he has to say because he makes money or at least he was making and i know people who are watching this are probably going to be like this fool doesn't know what he's talking about the majority of spike lee's audience is white i mean a lot of white people love his stuff i I had a lot of friends that were african-american that liked it too but mainly white folks that liked this stuff more so than a lot of black folks. A lot of black folks, this stuff was either too weird, too pretentious, too preachy. Uh, one, That's why I think the films, the earlier films had a balance because you had that, but there was enough narrative and enough mm-hmm. pride about what was, that was there. After a while, it was just getting to the point where, okay, dude, we know this, you know, I mean, and so once again, you guys, are a lot of people that listen to me about this, but I just felt that when he got, to a certain level of mm-hmm. in the industry, it was all of a sudden this thing about, oh, we as we have the people and we got it. Okay, dude, direct, don't preach, preach to your direct <laughs> and preach your storytelling, but quit beating us over the head with it. And the film I just saw earlier luckily had um, less of that in it. 
okay. but it was still there. But no, I mean, I keep wondering if that was that one of the reasons why he didn't really get in any type of Oscar escalades earlier on, because there were several films I think he probably could have got an Oscar for, but if he would have just eased up on that. Robert, do you remember what you texted me the night that he won his Oscar? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you saw how he was acting, right? And you saw how he was behaving, right? Okay, let me say this too. Once again, I'm going to get a lot of hate response for this. <laughs> I think if Spike Lee was... <laughs> I'm, you just throw me on the bus. Okay, it's, it's happening already. That's right. I think I always felt that once again, if Spike Lee was more of a humble person, if this, first this Napoleon combat, he's a little guy, but this whole ego thing about, you know... I'm the king of the world type thing. I mean, Grant, he wants to be James Cameron. I would never do It's like, but that Oscar, I never forgot that. We're like, dude, okay, you won. Congrats. You earned it. Even though this wasn't, he really wrote, it was an adapted story, but he got something, but it was like, stop the world. Spike Lee won an Oscar. And we had to hear that for like over two. And it just made me kind of not lose this, not lose respect for him. But it's like, dude, you know, is this what it's all about? It's like, you had ages, you do this film that really isn't your story. And yet, you know, you get an Oscar and, you know, looking like he's the um, the great candy bar man, whatever. Look, that outfit wore. <laughs> oh, I remember that. Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, I could picture that outfit. Or, or some type of um, um, streetcar conductor for like a great, 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 um, great pop. I don't know. I just remember that, cut, that outfit he wore. It looked like yeah, he yeah. was working at, like, at Willy Wonka or somewhere. It's like know. from a MGM uh, Technicolor musical. I, just, I never forgot that that outfit that outfit was like dude yeah. what are you doing but anyway but no i just really feel that um there's so many filmmakers that you don't hear them making a big deal about stuff and spike mm-hmm. lee's got to have the the big mouth of the industry saying white man this and people this and we got it this and we we know this stuff tell us something stop preaching to the choir man you know so anyway so yeah that, that night the oscars yeah that was a joke and i was texting you you saw those texts i I think so. Yeah, I think you said sit down, Spike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did say sit down. Gosh, that was annoying. I mean, I'm glad he won, but at the same time, dude, it's like an issue with people with egos. And well, there, directors, something... I mean, James Cameron's bad enough. But, but, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I was going to say there's uh, kind of two parts to that. One is also a good segue to, uh, we'll go into our, our honorable mention picks here in a second, but the fact that he's also front and center in she's got to have it as an actor. Yes. And then the Mars black, which was fine. Mentioned. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I'm not begrudging him for the, his career paths whatsoever, but you also have a director now who's also clearly comfortable, if not wanting to be in front of the camera to perform a role, to do yeah. a performance. So I think that's a different mix than if you're, you know, looking at, uh, just trying to think of the other New York, like we were saying like, well, Woody Allen's sort of the same way in his own, but he's cultivated his own persona, Scorsese, isn't really in front of the camera acting another new york filmmaker um kind of just puts it in his films and doesn't well, even are we going by new york talk. filmmakers or, or, or filmmakers in general though i was because thinking more like new york filmmakers because i was thinking new york left is left. so like tied to spike lee in my head so we're going by strictly new york thing because you got to put john cassavetes in there if that's the case oh and no he, yeah he absolutely right yeah yeah and you got um abel ferrara he did yeah. it for spike lee um or even uh one of his remakes bill gunn yeah you got bill gunn's in front of the camera yeah, exactly. oh yeah so, big time yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I guess what it is too is like as a director, yeah, I always saw him as being this personality in front of the camera, which is fine. But it's like in many ways you won't. I guess what it is is that I always saw him as a director first and as an actor second. Yeah, but yeah, me too. As a director first, he had control to put himself in all these movies. And some of these films, I don't think he needed to be in them. I don't right. personally. I don't think he was my one issue with Malx. He was my issue with that because I was he was annoying in that. He was annoying in Mo Better Blue. <laughs> he was great. She's got a yeah. 
and um, do the right thing. But then other films, I'm like, dude, it's like, you know, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't, I mean, Clint Eastwood didn't have to be in all his films either. <laughs> and um, I just think of directors that so often, can't they direct more than instead of trying to be a personality within, unless right. there's a character that nobody else wants to play. I can see that. And sure. there's been directors that have done that too. Yeah. I can see Aaron's not going to have me on here again. No, no, no. I love it. I love it. Cause I, one of the things I love about Spike Lee is that he's, he's got all these different layers to it. Where like, I don't, I don't love everything he's done, but I'm fascinated by everything he does and I'm going to watch it and I'm going to, you know, wrestle with it. I like that. I was fascinated after a while. The magic sort of tapered off at that. Oh, scene. okay. <laughs> yeah. Now, like I said, there's a lot of people that know me say, Oh, Robert hates Spike Lee. It's like, Oh, I don't hate Spike Lee. It's just that I don't see him being this iconic, innovative, groundbreaking asset to cinema for African American. I don't see that. No, Melvin Van Peebles or Gordon Parks, Bill Gunn, Charles Burnett, you know, Julie Dash, people like that. Yeah. Just as, they deserve just as much, if not more, hype than Spike Lee. But Spike is like, me, 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 me. It was that kind of thing. And it's just, that got old. She went the films kept being generically preachy and that's my big issue aside from that no i, I you know i've been a fan i just i'm not to be 25 years ago gotcha that way yeah no i i love your approach to it robert it's very it's very refreshing but it's also kind of kind of how i feel in the back of my head because i would end up being labeled as like the spike lee fan like i was i was working at cedar lee for years and years when we, we played several of his movies <laughs> And like, oh, Aaron's really, you must be excited. New Spike. I'm like, I am, but like, I don't love everything he does. I'm just, I'm very curious about what he's going to do. And enough of the time, I think he hits out of the park for me that I'm like, I'm on board. And I also, like I mentioned, just also being a, a film geek, anytime he does an interview, I'm like, I got five more recommendations of things to watch. And I think I also enjoy filmmakers who are very prolific the way he is. I enjoy, uh, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. Thomas Anderson or uh, Claire Denis or something because they're very exact with what they're making. Mm-hmm. But I also like the fact that Spike Lee's just kind of exercising that filmmaking muscle. Like, and could be diminishing returns. Maybe he's a little thin, you know, some years, but, but I, I like the, uh, the passion that he's got for it. If, if not the actual films, a lot of the time as well, the Oscar thing was interesting because my, my honorable mention pick is a very divisive film of his, but it's one that I, I, uh, I adore flaws and all because I'm a huge fan of network. I think that's one of the great American films in my, my list, probably like top 10 American films bamboozled. Well, see, I knew you were going to say that. I knew uh, you were going to say Oscar that. Thing, yeah. Cause then when they have the, there's like a parody Oscar um, scene that happens with Matthew Modine in that one. That is um, I think it's a kind of like Spike Lee's interpretation of the Ving Rhames, Jack Lemon. It was at the golden globes, I think. Oh, Rames one for play, for the Don yes. HBO movie, and then he like yes, he handed yeah. Lemon, who he was running against. It seemed like Spike was commenting directly on that situation, but within Bamboozled, I mean, obviously he's commenting on a lot more than that. But having that one specific award scene in Bamboozled, I was like, that's a that's that just happened like a year ago in an actual <laughs> award show. But I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, he, he that movie is 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 overloaded with social commentary. And a lot of interesting aspects, but you being a filmmaker and a cinematographer, I wanted to ask you his use of switching to digital video in Bamboozle, I thought was really interesting as a way to shoot the film. I really like the aesthetic, but I think it's also a kind of it's an interesting visual look for some people who don't care for that movie too much. Um, With Bamboozle. um, okay, years ago, you you guys know who Austin Allen was, right? He he ran the uh, film department at CSU, Austin Allen. 
he's 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 no longer there, but he this was back when CSU was really it was evolving with their film curriculum and everything, and he was like our crusading professor. He's a great guy. Um they meet Austin Allen, um Rafiq, R. A. Washington, you know him? Yes. Yeah. He's a poet. Okay, anyway, another great guy. Those guys and me, they they gave us a special private screening of Bamboo because <laughs> Oh wow. I already knew the film was shot digitally and mm-hmm. already I okay, well he's playing on the whole dogma thing because that was still, the hot item was the whole dogma ninety five yeah. thing. And I'm like, that's cool, whatever, but I had a hunch that was not gonna work for this film. And a film that I'm a huge, huge fan of and a filmmaker that I'm a huge fan of is Robert Downey Sr. You ever seen Putney Swope? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. To me, Bamboozle was Spike Lee going into Putney, Putney Swope, Swope territory. You know, I, see so that, already, yeah. I already knew it's okay, well, already dude the bar is really high so yeah <laughs> this is this better be great the first half of bamboozle was brilliant i loved it despite the quality could not like the video thing i really wish he would have mixed formats with that but that's one issue yeah and that part with the awards that was great everything up there was in uh, Damon Wayans was character was having these hallucinations and feeling the guilt and mm-hmm. all this preachy crap got thrown into it that's sucked everything that was great in the first half was ruined by the last act the last act alone ruined that entire film and i can't watch that film again oh. i cannot watch <laughs> i just thought it was it was once again it was this heavy head the film should have just ended with this thing taken off everybody in the country should have been wearing blackface and we, he could have went all the way with the I'm a, i can't see the i won't say n-word but when he was doing the n i'm an n-word you're in it yeah, that was yeah, all yeah. and all this it was like well oh, i'm betraying this and all this and I'm, what have i done and it's like, no, dude. and then little, the doors are coming up. I'm like, it was just once again, everything that was great, all of a sudden you're going to be preaching and sugarcoat it in a way that's just so, it was just, it was almost as if, once again, it's like, he's going to turn and say, this is what we got to be. No, dude, you made your point. End it right there. Because the film was way too long at that point. It was just, I don't know. I, I really wish. Wish they would have shot that on film because I think the visuals in that film. You, if you look at that film now, it looks so. Yeah. When people were shooting the digital stuff back then, was anybody thinking about that? Because I'm thinking you got a topic here that you want generators to see. Why would you shoot it like this? Yeah. You know, there were so many things he, he could have shot that black and white. He could have shot it in different formats. He could play with the eight millimeter form. He could. He was so many things he could have done, but a still photo montage, anything. But I was something oh, like yeah, Zelig yeah. would have been cool with the whole. Um, vintage stuff, anything, yeah. but why digital yeah. video? And I, he, that was a tremendous missed effort. I have a lot of issues with that film. And the sad thing is, it could have been a masterpiece. That film could have been a phenomenal yeah. benchmark in cinema, and he dropped the ball. That's just my personal. And funny because um, a lot of people that I knew once again thought that he hit the nail on the head. That, but I'll ask him, if you watch that film now, will you get the same impact from it? And and they have to think about that. I'm thinking, no, you wouldn't. Cause, right, right. And I saw that in the theater on top of that. And that made it all the more awkward to watch because it just looked like someone was doing this sort of surveillance video of these this agency, yeah. this whole <laughs> thing. So I don't know. I mean, but, well, especially in 2000, you saw it theatrically. You were seeing it, um, you're seeing it in a theater in 2000. You're seeing it projected on film at that point, too. Yeah. So it's it, yeah, another it like extra layer of like, weirdness to it. Yeah. 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 I mean, parts of the film it worked, but not as an entire. Um, I think you're right. Format, no. I, I, there were there, there are moments where montage that, that would have been spot on, but yeah. Especially because it's about a TV show, like just do the TV show segments as the digital video parts or something. Like you said, multiple formats here yes. would have really, really, really helped. Yeah. 
Well, what, do you, what, what, uh, what honorable mention film do you have for us, Robert? Aside from the first three, like yeah. I said, she's got to have it. School days do the right thing. Those are like way up there for me. As far as honorable mention in terms of something really great that I think he may have done that, I don't know. Um, that's kind of tough. Because see, I've yet to see a film of his after those three that I loved. Okay. I, mean, I like Girl 6, but I can't say I loved it, but I like it a lot. But um, I don't know. I mean, when it comes to um, recent Spike Lee films, I mean, everything I've seen after those first three, nothing related. I don't know. I, I, I can't say I've seen a recent Spike. This deserves honorable mention. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Do you have one, Mike? Well, yeah, I, I'm going to actually use one of his, his most recent ones uh, that might have been overlooked just because of the pandemic. But uh, I I was a real big fan of The Five Bloods. Uh, I was actually... Uh kind of surprised by some of the the muted uh response to it uh, you know like especially like when it came to awards times i i thought uh the ensemble was great uh like delroy lindo i thought should have been nominated for an academy award for his his performance in that movie and um i think this is the second war film that uh spike lee put out because he he did one in like the late 2000s um that was uh i think it takes place in oh Vietnam. uh saint anna Do what were two yeah. 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 yeah yeah um but but i i thought this one uh with the just the the ensemble and uh you know getting some great work actually from chadwick boseman which i you know i think like he passed away right before it was released um i was actually just i i was really moved by it and i thought it was despite it's kind of you know long length i i you know i was kind of glued to my set when it when it came on uh or you know when i was watching it um but it's one of those ones where i wish i wish it would have been in a theater um because i would have loved that experience but uh i don't think that you know it's probably not in the cards uh <laughs> <laughs> was that fin- that was that shot digitally or in five bloods uh, that's a good question. I'll have to look that up. But uh, to me, I want to say he shot that on digital. I might be wrong. Yeah, to me, it looked like it might have been too polished, so it probably was digital. It says he uses four aspect ratios uh, as a framing device per location. Uh, one three three one on sixteen millimeter film, mimicking newsreels, and then yeah, he yeah, makes so like kind format. of format. That's what it, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 The modern scenes were all shot digitally. Ah, uh, yeah, and some brief, uh, brief use of Super Eight as well. Right. Yeah. 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 Who's playing around with a lot of Super Eight stuff? Yeah. So basically, the format you wish you would have done on Bamboozled, he did with Defy Bloods, <laughs> like play with formats and yeah, uh, all that yeah. exactly. So yeah, and and this other film that I, I'm going to talk about in a minute, but yeah, he did that also. Now, apparently, he he definitely was a big fan of shooting with sixteen and Super Eight. Sometimes when you get that Netflix money, I guess you can you can do a little more uh, uh, experimenting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I say, I'm just curious, how do you guys feel about his remake of Old Boy? I did not watch that one. <laughs> I did see that one. Um, I thought I was more interested in Josh Brolin's central performance. I thought Brolin was doing a pretty good job there, but at the end of the movie, I was just sort of like, why did we remake this one? <laughs> um but I, I, it was I mean, solid. Was there anything like, about that that you thought was unique in terms of him his signature or was um, it or did it look like something that he just did on the fly it uh it's been a while so i, I almost at the one time um and it's been a minute since i've seen it but um 
Yeah, I don't I don't remember having like a real like, oh, you put your own take on this kind of feeling about it. It was sort of maybe like an intellectual like film exercise of some point. Now, to sweep Blood of Jesus, which like it's no ganja and Hess by any means, but I thought he was trying to do something on a unique there on his own um, and like putting mm-hmm. his own spin on it. But I, I don't remember feeling that with old boy. OK, see, I need to see that his thing on ganja. I want to see that one. I saw it. Uh, Ganja and Hess at the Cinematheque on film. And I was like, well, now's the time to watch The Sweet Blood of Jesus. So I, I watched it within a couple of days of each other, which was yeah. probably not the best way to do that. But <laughs> um, yeah, no, yeah, I'm sorry I missed that actually because that would have been that would have been great. Well, what was uh, what was, what's the film you picked then, Robert? What did you watch for uh, this particular watch challenge uh, for Spike Lee? Okay, well, like this was this DVD was given to me years ago, <laughs> and I never had the motivation watch it because i knew it was shot digitally but when i when you guys approached me for this or mike mentioned hey is there a film of his you haven't seen that i was like hmm, actually i have this one here that i red hook some oh nice this is your grandson this is your grandfather there's some shady people up here this is not atlanta you understand Yes. Good. We live in a world of should not be. It should not be that radio and television and movies define who our boys are. Working a day over at the Little Heaven. It's my summer vacation. Your summer vacation has work in it. Ooh! 80% unemployment around here. I got a crazy family. You and me both. There's somebody in this holy sanctuary who needs Jesus. Come on now, step up. Who does that person need? Jesus. You embarrass me. You need Jesus in your life, son. He has to respect me, too. You got to compromise with him. He's old school, okay? Flick needs a man. Not a bishop, not a Bible, but a man. And when the good man teaches, the Bible will preach itself. Did you see this? I haven't seen it, but it was actually the one when I was thinking about watching for this episode, but I, I have never seen Red Hook Summer. So, And Mike, you never saw it. I, no, I have not seen it. Well, you know, I guess over the, this is a time frame when he started doing these smaller films because backing from American um, financing, I guess. And so he started doing these smaller budgeted movies. And this was one of the Red Hook series that he was doing, a Red Hook trilogy, I guess. Not a bad film. Um, not great, but definitely going back to the roots of what made his earlier film special, especially She's Gotta Have It. Mm-hmm. But it's a coming, sort of a coming-of-age film, but it has a dual dark spin on it. A lot about living in the projects and people that are so grounded with, and the flip side of that, you know, the, or the darker side of the whole clergy within the Black community. I don't want to give too much away. Um, once again, if I had to criticize it, it the video quality, I mean, I was, this was 11. And so and I forget what they used a Sony camera, I believe what they, when they shot this, but they went out of the way to grade it really rich. So the colors and everything are what you would see in the earlier films. So it had the quality to do the right thing and all that. Um, not to give, it, give this away, say spoiler alert, whatever, whatever they say. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mookie is in this film. He plays Mookie in this. Oh, wow for like a hot second. He comes in and out delivering pizzas and they say, hey, Mookie, you still delivering pizzas? He's like, yeah, gotta get paid. You know, the whole nine, that's that's in here. And, <laughs> but it was kind of like a little cute cameo. But the funny thing is, Mookie aged, you can tell he's aging and it's like he's still delivering pizzas. But but aside from that, yeah, it was shot digitally. Um, but there is, there are a couple of uh, 
quick montages or eight millimeter film shot on super eight oh, and that's nice. throughout the movie especially for the ending okay, so um but overall not a bad film i just thought once again he gets preachy at times and he gets 20 minutes were way over the top there's segments that were like i want to see a minute or, a minute or two too long it's just the montage which is soundtrack's actually pretty good but once again there's the music playing and someone's doing a little solo this didn't bother me as much but um, if I had to give the film any criticism aside from that with the acting, I would say the kids are their lines felt kind of forced or like they were reading. It, it was very staged. It was like community theater. Oh, okay. okay. And I don't want I don't I don't know how this would come off saying this, but we have a you know those those shows that would play at the playhouse on a weekend, and all the family come out of church and go to the theater to see those shows. <laughs> they call it Chitlin Circuit type stuff. This kind of came off as that a little, but not in a bad way, too. But um, it's definitely one of those films where if he would have went on a, an extra, if he would have went the extra mile, this would have been a good family movie. But it has some moments that are pretty extreme, and that's how I got the R rating. Oh, okay. Because aside from there's two or three scenes, aside from that, this could have been a G-rated movie. But I don't want to give it away. But the last act of the film reveals something really meant and sick, Okay, which is yeah. bad and tragic. But it's worth seeing. I mean, I thought I was impressed. I mean, I kind of wish he would make more films of this caliber with this kind of skill budget. At the same time, I can see this not being a big crowd pleaser because the film has sort of a downer aspect to the overall. It's not a bad film. It's a sweet little coming of age film. But yeah, definitely it's got its um, minor quotes. Okay. Yeah. Out of this. Oh, what was the other one? Crooklyn. Crooklyn. If you like Crooklyn. Oh, Crooklyn. Like yeah, yeah. Okay. Actually, I, 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 like a, a fantasy path for Spike Lee's career that he could have done, since you mentioned Cassavetes earlier, I would have loved to seen Spike every like four or five years just go off with like, because he clearly has a crew of friends that are actors. He's worked with the same cinematographers yes, yeah. over the years. Terrence Blanchard's in there. Like, hey, guys, we're doing three weeks, you know, uh, $50,000. We're making a movie and just like do one of those, you know, make a... Yeah. I would love to see that. Yeah, oh, that'd yeah. be amazing. Yeah, this was like that, except he didn't have um, Ernest Dickerson. He didn't have Terrence Blanchard. He didn't have none of those guys. See, that's intriguing to me because it's kind of like almost outside of his comfort zone, it sounds like. Exactly, yeah. I mean, because yeah. I remember back if he could redo She's Gotta Have It, he would. Or he would. He just didn't feel that, that film was really – that film doesn't demonstrate what his skills really were. And I, and I disagree. I think, dude, that film was – it's pure filmmaking. This is actually pure filmmaking, even though he – but yeah. no, I just think certain filmmakers, if they're really good, you can take away all their bells and whistles and their studio budget yeah. and all that stuff and give them a real crew and just get in there and do it the true indie way. And this Absolutely. film definitely had that. And, and that's what I miss about a lot of his films. I think that's what I love about it. It had, it was all about that. And mm. every element of those characters, you were even more engaged with because it was so real. And this film had that too. Um, but when you start seeing Denzel Washington and and all these other name actors and all something gets lost. And that's, to me, that's been a, a big test for good filmmakers when you can make a film with name actors and you forget you're seeing really caught up into the characters. Yeah. But when you keep seeing, oh, Denzel, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Wesley Snow, oh, yeah. It's like, you know, those are the distractions that to me are like tricky because um, yeah. you really got to be able to push that narrative and bring these characters to life instead of just making it an all-star ensemble. That was another problem I had with... Um, Mobeta Blues because that was a total ensemble of all his mm -hmm. actors, but sure. characters I didn't believe because I saw Giancarlo Esposito, I saw Vilna, 
I, yeah. I didn't see jazz music made up to look like jazz. I, but this that's what, that's what made this film so special because it was a no-name cast. Yeah. Um, these people have been in smaller films and probably a lot of theater, community theater, but, you know, that really worked out for the acting wise. I don't know if that was intentional, but it definitely came off being very low-key, low-profile, very borderline, um, um, micro-budget filmmaking. Yeah. Because parts yeah. of the film look like, yeah, somebody in Cleveland could have made this. Not that I'm not in Cleveland <laughs> filmmaker. <laughs> Red Hook right. Summer. I highly recommend this. So if you like Excellent. Spike Lee, you want to see what Spike Lee can do on a bare bare bones budget, check. I do. I do. Excellent. Uh, Aaron, what did you pick? So one of the things we haven't mentioned at all yet with Spike Lee's filmography is his prolific documentary work, mm. which mm-hmm. I yes. find yes. interesting and varied if kind of odd sometimes. And I, I, I went through and was kind of like charting them uh, to see what I had missed. Um, being a uh, former theater nerd from from high school and college, I was like, oh, maybe I'll do uh, Passing Strange or I'd, I'd actually watched the Rodney King one um, and I'd seen Passover. It's been a while, but I was like, no, no, I'm doing a watch challenge. I want something I hadn't seen before. The big gap in his documentary films that I hadn't seen was the original Kings of Comedy. Mm. Oh, over one million screaming fans. 113 electrifying minutes. And the four kings of comedy. What are you going to do for excitement today? I'm going to drive past the police and pull my wallet out and hope I don't get shot 41 times. If I drop my wallet in front of police, I know the rules now. I will not pick that up. I'll kick it all the way home. The original. Kings of Comedy. <laughs> the most successful comedy tour ever. Now we about to make a little change up in here. Now, MTV Films and Latham Entertainment present a Spike Lee joint. It's like that big movie that came out, the Titanic. You saw the movie? The band was playing as the ship went down. What black band you know gonna keep playing with the damn ship going down? Cool and the gang would have been unplugged. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine at a wedding. Lord, we done ran out of wine. Well, y'all know normally I don't do this, but uh, <laughs> go ahead and keep the party going. Talking about we want a black president. Come on, y'all, now, you know, I mean, you know, we got Clinton that's close. <laughs> he got Negro tendencies, but, uh... Well, I like white people. When they go on break on the job, they go to their desk, they eat their cheese sandwich. Fifteen minutes, they back on the job. My people, when we go on break, we break. You seen Johnny? The original Kings of Comedy. And... I really dig the, I like stand-up comedy a lot. Everything from, um, you know, Raw. I've watched a bunch of the George Carlin stuff. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm fairly familiar with this stand-up comedy concert film kind of format to it. Mm-hmm. I really, really like this one. And I really only thought two of the comics were funny. Um, it's just, <laughs> you know, humor is so specific and, and, and it's so it's so hard. So like if you had focused only on one comic and I didn't care for it, I mean, I could still evaluate it as a film, but like, I'm not going to be as into the comedy. Steve Harvey is just a spectacular MC um, in this one. And his crowd work is just dynamite. Um, and then um, at the end, uh, Bernie Mac coming out, like I was just cry laughing uh, with, with some of his routines. Uh, yeah. But what 
Spike did like he he stuck to the format. It's about the performers. It's about the jokes, but it's also yeah. stand up comedy films. The best ones I think are also about the audience. And he had great mm-hmm. um, camera placement in the audience to kind of capture it. At one point, um, Steve Harvey even was talking about like how he's old school, and then they started playing music that he loves, and he's kind of dancing on stage. And they had the <laughs> cameras placed just right to catch people in the audience who were you know they're like oh my god this song and they're up and dancing and it really it really mm-hmm. captured like the whole like the beauty of stand up comedy when it can it really does involve the audience. There's some crowd work being done. You can see the crowds really into it. And he only had a couple of scenes of like backstage or uh, the guys that were on tour kind of just talking or I think they're hanging out uh, around a basketball court at one point. Um, so maybe I would say maybe a little bit more like backstage or like on the tour kind of stuff that I would have liked. But for the most part, I was like, no, it's a focus on comedy. It's a focus on these performers. If you don't think somebody's funny, wait 15 minutes. You got another comedian coming right up. <laughs> and um, I don't know how I missed it when it came out originally because it was playing for a while. Yeah, it was. It was a big box office hit. I'm just curious, who are your least who I mean, who are your least favorite comedians in that? I'm just curious because I've heard people tell me different stories. Uh, I'm not a big deal, Hugh Lee fan. I didn't care for his show too much. Like he's a fine comic. It's just it wasn't it wasn't resonating with me. Um, and Cedric the Entertainer is a funny guy, and I I appreciate him. I think he's a little bit better when I've seen him be more off the cuff or doing um kind of more MC work yeah. or crowd work. And it just it was a little too it was structured, and I was like eh, it was fine, but. Because it was punctuated by by Harvey coming out every every so often, I was just like I'm like I'm kind of just waiting for Steve Harvey's next <laughs> next bit when he comes back out. Um, but it, it was not like it's bad comedy; it just it wasn't it wasn't hitting for me. So I was like, oh, you know, I'll just wait for the next one. It's fine. I mean, I right. still chuckled here and there, and it is it's still funny through and through. I think I could see some of the jokes set up a little bit more with Hughley uh, than with the other comedians. But yeah. no, no, solid solid production. Um, obviously, that's a digital uh, digitally shot one because it's multiple cameras um covering the, the yeah. different angles and stuff i you could also tell too i think it was bernie max energy on stage the camera a couple of times just wasn't keeping up with where he was going and you could tell like oh they got to cut over to this mm-hmm. and then somebody's like zooming in real quick and but it captured the energy of that i thought in a really uh really fascinating way mm-hmm. but yeah i would recommend that one it's a you know it's a good laugh solid, solid documentary work uh, as far as capturing a um stand-up comedy concert so yeah pretty solid mm-hmm. pretty solid it was also kind of weird at the beginning to see the MTV Films logo, actually. Oh, yeah. I, I, oh, really? Yeah, I'd forgotten that they were doing films there for a little while. But yeah, it's a MTV Films um, production. I forget who they partnered with. But yeah, it was, yeah. It was like, oh, wow. I, I think they're, they're really oh, I forgot that, too. Yeah, yeah, I remember they had a... I forgot all about that. They're only like in name only with the Jackass movies, pretty much now. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's about it now. <laughs> but also, then, too, it kind of being... Yeah. Uh, I've already mentioned like Scorsese a couple of times. Like, you've got king of comedy and i know you know spike lee and scorsese are uh are friends and uh i was like oh so this is uh an interesting is it is it a twist on the king of comedy 80s movie that scorsese did yeah Uh, i remember (laughs) going back and switching out the original kings of comedy well it's funny i always wondered what that title meant when they said the original kings of comedy because i'm thinking well if you're gonna go with the originals to me, it would have been Lenny Bruce, Pryor, and Rick Fox. Oh, sure, yeah, and yeah. Rudy Ray Moore, someone like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, was, I don't know. It just—I always wondered what he meant by that. But but those guys aren't funny. I mean, oh, yeah, these newer yeah. guys. It's just you know. But I'm just thinking, why did he say the original? I'm not even sure if it's something that he titled because it was at the end of their tour. They already were touring under that label, mm-hmm. I think. And then, mm-hmm. so then it was like, well, let's 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 film the finale here. So you just call it that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Well, how about you, Mike? What did you uh, What did you watch for this challenge? In honor uh, of our guest, um, I uh, I wanted to watch something that I had never seen before, and uh, it was uh, Malcolm X. 
from 1992, uh, anchored by the great performance by Denzel Washington. He was a pusher, a hustler, a thief. You ready to tackle the streets? Yeah, I'm ready. Let him come. <laughs> he was loved, respected, convicted. Say your number, little. I forgot it. In a dream that's divine. He was a prisoner who set himself free. A Muslim must be strikingly upright. I will not touch the white man's drugs, his liquor, his women. So that those in the darkness can see the power of the light. I will not lie, cheat, or steal. I believe you will remain faithful. Yes. He was a follower who became a leader. You're not an American. We didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Plymouth Rock landed on us. <laughs> He brought honor to disobedience. I suggest you look outside that window. You've been laying down and bowing down for 400 years. I think it's time to stand up. All right, break it up. You got what you wanted. No, I'm not satisfied. That's too much power for one man to have. And a voice to a people who longed to be heard. You know, the movie uh, follows Malcolm, you know, at, at, at first he was known as uh, Red, uh, you know, kind Detroit of like, Red, a, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. like a petty thief. And, uh, you know, then it, it follows like, you know, his, his path to becoming, you know, into the, um, the civil rights movement. And uh, the movie, I, I believe the movie is, is fairly good, but I'm somebody who I do not usually complain about length for films but i felt just the the pacing of the film especially in the first hour you know i thought it picked up once he gets into prison uh but that first hour where where you're starting to get to know him a little bit it's just it's a little bit it's like come on come on spike come on get get, get to, <laughs> you know like let's 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 get to the point a little bit yeah um but uh but no i mean i think that the production value is really great you know you could tell that it was still done on probably you know a modest budget but they were they were able to to do things to you know to show off the time period and and everything mm-hmm. and i thought um some pretty good uh, supporting work, you know, Angela Bassett, I thought, uh, gave some uh, pretty good work in there. And I, I will agree, uh, you know, Spike's character in the film was a little bit, uh, you know, I mean, I, he was almost there as like, annoying, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought he was annoying. But right. Was... <laughs> yeah. yeah, you could say that. Uh, but, um, but, but honestly, you know, I, I could see it's like, that was probably his, even though I would you know, do the right thing was released by a major studio. That seemed to be, this seemed to be like his graduation to studio style filmmaking, you know, having a, a larger budget. And, um, you know, and, I mean, Denzel Washington obviously was already, you know, well-established by that point, but I think really put him in the pantheon, like the, you know, that, that top tier of performances with, with this film. So I'm giving, you know, Malcolm X a 
uh, a recommendation, but I would say like you might want to, I, I first try to watch it at night, uh, you know, at like 11 o'clock that that was not, oh, that's not the season. right time. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I, I would say many people may want to, if you're going to watch it on DVD, maybe watch one half, one afternoon or evening yeah. and then the other half, but watch it all the way through it. That's a because you know I would consider that film pretty much an epic because that's what he yeah. was going for. Right. And I would say unless you're going to be in a formal the- theatrical environment, that's not going to watch in your room unless you're really dedicated to go all the way. If you're not and you're not and you're not you're going to be distracted. Don't try to sit through because <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the beginning part I agree with you. It's slow, but I think it was necessary for what he was. I agree. It was it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's almost like a, the roller coaster. It's like yeah. Then it. It finally does get its yeah. groove, you know. But uh, but yeah, I, I was uh, I'm glad to finally like check that one off the list. It's it's one that's always like been um, you know on my my long term watch list, and you know as always with this with this podcast, it's I'm glad that it finally kind of gave me the kick in the <laughs> in the ass to get watch that one done. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that one is still on my to watch list. I own it. It's sitting right over there. Have not actually put in the dvd or put in the blu-ray player yet yeah i've heard the criterion uh the the criterion that they just put out is pretty magnificent you know as far as uh archival and um you know all that stuff they restored all that nice all right well someday i will get to that one (laughs) if that ever plays theatrically i I would go see it oh for sure yeah yeah so our official watch challenge picks for spike lee films are we had robert uh, the red hook summer got myself with the original kings of comedy and we've got mike with malcolm x robert thank you so much for joining us uh discussing uh kind of the works of spike lee in general but also a couple of the films in particular thanks for having me we should do this again sometime i won't talk as much next time though. oh that's all right <laughs> oh we, we like it's meant to be discussed. i won't bitch and moan like i do <laughs> uh, well mike uh before we sign off what challenge do we have in front of us for next time so Recently, uh, a film that just got just came out uh, called Infinity Pool. When it played at Sundance, it was rated NC-17. When it came out in theaters a few days later, it was rated R. Uh, but I figured it might be kind of fun to, you know, do a challenge of NC-17 films. You know, that rare rating that uh, you know only comes out once once a year, maybe. You know, yeah, if that sometimes twice. Yeah, <laughs> so NC-17. Well, if you'd like to send us your picks for uh, NC-17 or suggest a topic or genre you'd like covered on a future show, it's watchchallengepodcast at gmail.com or follow any of the links that we have here in the show notes. Until next time, folks, rate and review the show in whatever podcast app you're using, and we'll see you with the next challenge.